Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. Welcome to the Invested Podcast, where we try to break down what's going on with the greatest investor in the world, Warren Buffett. How does he do it? How does he make those kind of returns? And how do people who follow him seem to make those kind of returns also? So that's kind yeah. of cool. And, that's um, kind of cool. That's what we do here, where you teach me the Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger style of value investing. And um, and last week, Dad, we played an interview that I did with LJ Rittenhouse on Investing Between the Lines, her book, um, which was, I hope you guys all loved it. I thought it was so interesting. Uh, and it meant we took a little break from our focus on Monish Pabrai's interview and, uh, and and everything fascinating that he spoke about in Forbes.com. So we want to get back to that today, right? Yeah, and LJ's uh, work is so powerful. Um, one of the hardest things that I do when I'm investing, one of the hardest things I think you're going to find is trying to figure out how uh, much we should trust the people who are running the company, particularly the CEO. And mm. LJ has some great, great clues. So read that book. It's a great book. And it is a really good book. And what we've been talking about is this interview with Monish Pabrai in Forbes.com, which uh, came out on, and every time I say this, I forget when it came out, the end of June. Mm, June-ish, yeah, June-ish. So Very if you put recently, it in Forbes.com, uh, June 25th. 2018 is the date it came out. It's a great short interview. Really recommend reading about it, reading it. And we've been talking about it now for like five episodes because there's just every little point we could talk about for an hour. It's an indication of how great an investor that Monash is and um, how closely he follows what Warren and Charlie have been teaching and, and has applied it in his own extremely successful hedge fund. And, um, what we've been talking about recently was this concept of owner earnings. Which is yeah, because Monish brought up, um, they asked him what his most contrarian position he holds is, meaning like, what company does his fund own that everybody else thinks is the dumbest purchase ever, basically? And he said, we own, uh, actually, our largest position is Fiat Chrysler which he thinks is a contrarian position. Um, a lot of people think, you know, there's a lot of risk in car companies these days, especially considering all the tariff issues that are happening politically. And, uh, and, and yet he's heavy into Fiat Chrysler. And that brought up our discussion in our book, Invested, of owner earnings. Exactly. Which is heavy. H heavy what? <laughs> it's heavy. It's heavy... Um, uh, understanding wise, intellectually, uh -huh. cognitively, mathematically, yes. heavy like that, numerically, the owner earnings thing, <laughs> but it, it, sh it should be a little heavy only because it's one of those, um, it's maybe one of the only one of the numbers that we look for that isn't something you can pen down and say for sure, this is the right number. So that makes it a little more difficult. And, um, and so we did our best for the book to try to make it sort of the idiot's guide to owner earnings, which is sort of an idiot's yeah. view of owner earnings, if you will, which basically has a formula. I'm the idiot in this scenario. <laughs> not an idiot. <laughs> not an idiot. But we did have to kind of lay it out there. And it just, 
Warren Buffett and Charlie use a, a kind of formula and their formula states explicitly that you should use, you know, net earnings, depreciation and other things that seem appropriate. And it's that catch all yeah. other things that seem appropriate that is making it really hard to just pin it down. This is the exact right way to do owner earnings. So we did a kind well, of a easy way to do it thing. And listeners, if your ears are glazing over right now and you're feeling like pressing stop, I am with you because <laughs> this stuff, this financial accounting, financial statements stuff is so hard to talk about. Like it's not interesting to talk about in my opinion and it's not easy to grasp audibly. And that's why literally that was a huge reason why I wanted to write our book because we kept on getting so many questions from listeners going, you guys were talking about this thing and I was in my car and I couldn't write it down. And like, uh, can you give me like a version that is understandable? Um, and so we are now going to commit the same. And clearly the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think we've done it. I think we've done a good job. And the book is there as a textbook, essentially as a reference guide. But um, but we've gotten some great questions from our readers, and I have also wanted to just go through a new version of, um, of this financial stuff now that we've got the book out, and we've been promising to do it for quite a while. So, listeners whose ears are glazing over, we are going to make this as interesting as it possibly can be. And let me tell you, when you understand the concepts logically, which is what I learned to do, thank God. All the little details of like what line is what and what word goes with what, that stuff you don't honestly, okay, dad, tell me if you think this is stupid, but uh, in my opinion, you don't have to pay a lot of attention to that stuff. That is what the book tells you. And that is what you can look up on the internet. Like the actual, like what goes with what thing, we've got that for you. It's the logic of it, it's the concept of it that is interesting and where the understanding needs to be. And once I've got that sense of like, okay, I have my arms around this thing, then the details can fall into place. And that's what I wanna talk about with owner earnings. And I know a lot of you have emailed us and you're very excited to hear the details about Fiat Chrysler in particular, and we're gonna get to that for sure. But we can't get to that without talking about for everybody who hasn't read the book yet, what owner earnings are and answer some of those questions. Does that make sense, Dad? It makes a kind of sense because there's- Kind of sense. There's, <laughs> yeah, there's obviously a huge subjective component to determining um, whether you really wanna own a company or not, a certain business. So what I'd like to encourage everybody to do is to think that um, this is something we call your the your uncle exercise, okay? Just what? imagine that your uncle just died and left okay. you a business. All right. He just left you this business. And now you, without any help from the outside, are going to decide whether you're going to keep the business or you're going to sell the business. Okay. So if that's what you were going to do, what? how would you go about this process? I mean, you're in... You're not going to get to use outside uh, analysts and outside advisors and you forget it. You have to determine this on your own. Am I going to sell it or am I going to keep it? How would you decide that? And so 
that's kind of not interesting, right? Yeah, I feel a lot of <laughs> feel a lot of panic right now. Okay, so you get left this business, and now you're going to panic because you have this wonderful opportunity. Except you need to know if you're going to sell it, how much should you sell it for, and why would you want to sell it? Why would you want to keep it? Which one of those would be the right thing to do? And so. There's some obvious things that come into this. Number one, is this a business that you admire, that has values that you appreciate? So if you don't like what the business manufactures or the services that it produces right there, you'd have a decision immediately to sell it, right? You don't want to own something you're embarrassed about. For sure. Okay, so your values have a huge impact right off the bat. Your values are very important about what you want to own or not own. Then there's just a couple of things you want to figure out. Number one, are you ready? Does this thing have consistent earnings power? In other words, what's it doing right now in terms of earnings? And will it will it continue this for a long, long time consistently um, such that you would want to keep it? Perhaps, right? Because it's going to provide you with this wonderful uh, cash flow that you could have for the rest of your life. So does it have consistent earnings power? And that requires it, we know, to have a moat. You got to have a moat in order to have a durable, uh, consistent way of of sticking in the market, of staying in the market. You got to have a moat. I'm so confused. You're, you're You're going like way back. No, you're talking just, about mission and moat. I'm just giving you this one little example. Like, hey, this is why it's all so subjective. Okay, okay. So first off, is it going to be a business that's going to be consistent for the future in, in terms of its earning and cash flow? And second, does it have real good return on equity? That's mm -hmm. really important, right? You got to know that the company makes good money on the money that's in it. And um, finally... You know, are the managers people you can trust? Mm -hmm. So this is and, and by the way, to get to the answer means that the business has to be simple. You know, forget about it. If the business is complex, how are you ever going to know any of the answers to any of these things? So it's got to be a simple business. Well, it's got to be a business that we can understand. There you go. Exactly. Exactly. Now, owner earnings to get back to what we're talking about here is a very big part of understanding one piece of this. The consistent earnings power means you got to figure out what earnings are. What, what really are they? What's an earnings, right? And so you got different names for this. The, the most common is called net earnings. And this is a fictional view of what the company's uh, profits are after you take revenue in and subtract out expenses and you end up with this net profit or net earnings or profit. And the problem with it is, is it's fictional on public companies. It isn't really the dollars you have in the bank. And now, a lot I think of people don't that, realize that. That is the key point here. That is the thing that I certainly didn't realize, that the, the, the net earnings or the net income that's reported by a company is calculated in a very specific accounting way, and it doesn't actually necessarily describe what 
dollar, I'll say dollar for U.S. companies, dollar amount is in the bank. Yeah, which is kind of scary, right? Um, because the classic example of the problem this creates is that it's very possible to have a company with profits and they go bankrupt. Because yeah. they, they have no cash. Nuts. Yeah. Right. So this is a big problem with what's called generally accepted accounting principles or gap accounting um, on public companies, which is all required to be in an accrual accounting system, which means that they're going to allocate um, sales when they occur, not when you get paid for the for the sale that you made. And they're going to allocate um, expenses when they occur, not when you actually make them. Hmm. So hmm. not when you actually pay them, I should say. And as a result, net income, which is revenue minus expenses, net income is this fictional thing. It, it doesn't necessarily match up to the cash you have in the bank. Now, academics poo-poo this by saying that, well, in the long run, your cash is going to reflect net earnings eventually. And that would be true if it wasn't for so many clever accountants who wrote, work for public companies being able to consistently manipulate net earnings to make their company look better than it probably actually is. And mm. believe me, they do it. And they do it because the CEO wants them to do it. And the CEO wants them to do it because he's not the founder. He's a mercenary. He got hired by the company to work for the company. He's going to be there five years, he or she. And in that process, in that period of time, he wants to make a fortune, having worked his whole career to get to the top. He wants to make a fortune inside that five-year period. He's not there because, oh, in the next 20 years, the company's going to do great. He's there to score in that five-year period. And this little problem has created um, disasters for corporations as large as even GM, where arguably the management of GM for 30 years continued its short-term thinking to continue to get their bonuses. And man alive, they sold the company down the river, along with all the workers who worked there. So this is a big, big problem. And one of the ways we solve that problem about whether the earnings are fake or not is we look at cash flow. Would it be overly reactive to, uh, as an investor, as looking at various publicly traded companies, to just kind of always assume a little bit that earnings are inflated? I think it's not a, an unreasonable assumption at all. You should just assume that for most public companies, the earnings are somewhat artificially inflated or massaged or manipulated. Um, hmm. so that they're very consistent. They want to look real consistent to the... When you see lots of really consistent earnings, you're, you're obviously looking at a company that's carefully manipulating its its uh, its accounting statements. So... Oh, that's yeah. really interesting. You always say we're looking for consistency. We are, company. but real consistency, not fake accounting consistency. Right? What's the difference? How, well, like, the, how, do you, how can you tell the difference? Well, the biggest way to tell the difference is that you look at the growth rates of earnings, and then you compare that to the growth rates of book value and cash flow and mm -hmm. um, sales, and all four of them should be pretty reasonably the same. They should be really roughly parallel if nobody's yeah. manipulating something. But if they're manipulating earnings, you're going to see the other one or two of the other things just go bouncing off the chart in the wrong direction. So um, that's the quickest way to see it is that Manipulated earnings will look very, very consistent, but other major uh, uh, numbers, the other big part of the big four will be a mess. And we look at those in our windage growth rate calculation. Yes, we do. So, done and done. 
Now, back to cash flow, though. So yes. I said net earnings, okay, could be manipulated. So let's go to cash flow. The problem okay. with going to cash flow is that it's called operating cash flow or cash flow from operations. And this little number is usually horribly wrong. It's horribly wrong? Yeah. Cash from operating activities is usually, for most companies, very misleading. Very misleading. And the reason is real simple. Cash from operating activities um, is a number that does not include the cost of maintaining your business, which is called maintenance capital expenditures. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. cash from operating activities does not include that at all. So it has this fictional view that says, oh, yeah, we, we don't actually need to ever put in a new plant uh, to replace the old one. Or if you're thinking about a piece of real estate, hon, you could just think, oh, I never have to replace the washing machine. I never have to paint the house. I never have to fix the roof. And I can always keep oh. charging the same rent. So, okay, wait a second. But that doesn't mean the number's wrong. It just means that it doesn't reflect what you think it sounds like it should. So it, it, does, it does describe the cash that comes from operating activities. That doesn't mean like the accounting is incorrect, but, no, but what you're misleading. looking for, yeah, it's misleading. What you're looking for is a number that um, is calculated after you factor in money that has to be spent on maintenance. Right, exactly. And, um, and so a lot of companies will refer you to their quote cash flow. And what they mean by that is cash from operating activities. And you look oh, at that, it looks so good. Oh, that's what you mean by misleading. Yeah. And that's not what we mean by cash flow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's dive into what we do mean by cash flow. Now, okay. I, I, <laughs> you love to go like very deeply into things, which is a wonderful quality. But I need to understand what we're doing here. Why are we going deeply into cash flow so that we can swing around to owner earnings at some point well I'll, I'll go back into that so because i'm sure that of all the listeners here you're the only one that's confused so yeah <laughs> right <laughs> okay so why are we swinging all the way back around to cash flow yeah was that the question yeah because, I, I, because why, why are you earnings, talking about it what we want to do is we want to figure out if we want to hold on to our uncle's business does this business provide us with money that we can put in our pocket and live off of? That's what we're looking for. That's what we call cash flow. Money uh -huh. we can stick in our pocket, okay? Yeah. As the owner of this business. Now, it takes two forms, this kind of real cash flow number. The first form we call free cash flow. Uh -huh. And this form of cash flow does, in fact, uh, include the expenses to maintain the business, but it also includes the expenses to grow it. Uh -huh. Now, that's one view of the cash flow, right? So we're going to say, how much money could I put in my pocket for my uncle's business if the management team continues to maintain everything it has to maintain and has money to grow the business and they're continuing to grow it at a certain pace, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And we would yeah. call that number free cash flow. And to get into that more, you could, you know, look in the book Invested, and there's a whole thing about it. Now, the other one that we're going to look at, and that we're going to look at deeper right now, is called Owner Earnings. 
or owner cash flow. Yeah, well, Warren Buffett calls it owner earnings, which is right. why we use that term as well. Right. But I, I like the way, okay, this is making more sense to me. So you're describing it, you're describing owner earnings as a form of calculated cash flow coming out of the company. Right. Another form Another of calculated form. cash flow is what you and many others is a very standard term, free cash flow, right. which we talk about in the book and you can Google up and lots of people talk about free cash flow now, even in their financial statements, which is really, really helpful and great. Um, owner earnings is, is not on that level of socially acceptable no, <laughs> cash not. flow calculation. It's so. not at all. And there's a We're real bringing good... it back, Dad. We're bringing it out. Here we go. <laughs> Um, it, all right, so this this helps me a lot. It's it's a form of cash flow that tells us, you know, one version of how much cash is coming out of the company. Now, there's two reasons why the rest of the world, all the whole financial services industry, is not particularly interested in what Warren Buffett calls owner earnings or owner cash flow. The number one reason is because these guys are all stock investors and they don't think like owners ever. They think like stock traders, right? And so. They don't mm -hmm. care what an owner would end up with if they actually owned all of the business because nobody owns all of these businesses that they're investing in. So it's an irrelevancy, right? Um, and number two, they don't look at the value of a business the way we do and the way Warren Buffett does. Um, they, look at, they look at value as um, based on the future of the company. Where's the company going to be? And they try to dial this value in with a great deal of effort. Um, and huge books have been written about this. And there are great experts in this on how to calculate the value of any business. Whereas what Buffett is basically saying to do is really we don't need to waste our time on all of that if we just understand owner earnings, number one, and we understand that the business will be more productive in the future, you know, five years, 10 years than it is mm. today. So here we're back to our uncle's business that we got again. We got to look at it and say, do I understand it well enough to know that it'll be bigger in the future than it is today in terms of being more productive, right? It's got a durable right, right. competitive advantage. It's going to be more productive in the future. I don't know how much more, maybe a lot more, maybe a little more, but it'll be more. I'm very confident in that. The same way I'm confident that if I buy, if my uncle left me a house, I could determine that the neighborhood's up, you know, going up and it's going to be worth, I can rent it for more in 10 years than I can today. I, I can make that decision. All right. So that's that's what we got to decide. Uh, and owner earnings and knowing that it's going to be more productive in the future than it is today will give us a value of the business that we should pay, a price we should pay. Understood. Good. Understood. Good, good, good. That's awesome. Because right now, a lot of people are listening to this and going, what? Hold on. Run that by slowly. So let's take it a little more slowly on what owner earnings actually is, okay? Yes, I think we need to do that. <laughs> so do I. Um, so question number one, Dad, where does owner earnings come from? Like, how, do you, how did you find out about this? Did well, you come up with it? No, this is all Warren Buffett, but it really comes from buying real estate and knowing that buying real estate is something everybody can aspire to and, and make a pretty decent you know, shot at. And so owner earnings is what you would know would be in your, or what you would uh, estimate would be in your pocket from the house that you bought that you're going to rent. Owner earnings is what lands in your pocket after you get the rent and pay the expenses of that house. 
And because the house is sort not of, sort of, pretty, pretty much most, most of the, yeah, pretty much most of the expenses. Like it, like it doesn't include income tax, for example. Right, but we're we never would include income tax <clears throat> when we're looking at the revenue or the owner what I'm going to put in my pocket from that house. And the reason we don't look at income tax is because houses are not businesses that pay taxes before the owner gets the money. Right? Yeah. Like with a with a pub with a C Corp public business, you as the owner don't actually get the money in your pocket until after that corporation pays taxes. And then you get a dividend after tax. But with the house that you bought next door, that isn't the case. You have revenue from rent, you have your expenses, and what's left you can put in your pocket. Now you're gonna have to pay taxes on it, but well, it just yeah. depends on your tax bracket. <laughs> I like how that's like, you can put it in your pocket. Well, you well you're gonna have to pay taxes. So, you know, MC hammer yourself and make sure that you actually put your money aside. <laughs> I'd say Willie Nelson yourself. Oh my God. Yeah, you're gonna need to pay taxes. Maybe, right? It just depends on your tax bracket. It depends if, if you have other income. Let's say you have no other income. You're retired and this house is providing, you know, $30,000 a year of income to you. And chances are pretty good. You're not going to pay any taxes on that. All right. All See right. Well, we'll get it more into the tax thing. Yeah. Okay. So tell me, tell me more about, um, about where it comes from. Owner earnings, this form of cash flow that lets us know what we're getting out of the company that we own. Okay, so it's literally what the owner would earn from uh, his company that he owns, what the owner would get. And it assumes that you're not, that you own the entire company, that the money is going to flow through to you without the company paying any income tax. And that's the number we're looking for. So we can compare apples to apples. Okay. I want to compare it to investing in a house, I want to compare it to investing in a farm or a distributorship or owning a McDonald's franchise. I want to be able to compare them all. And in all of those cases, I'm not paying tax on the income that comes off of that thing. So let's take income tax out of this. Yeah, All right, got it. So you want to hear how it looks? Own no, I want to hear where it comes from. I keep telling you. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to answer my own question. Okay, good. <laughs> it comes from Warren Buffett's 1986 letter to oh, shareholders. Good Lord. <laughs> okay. So if it you does, guys actually, if you guys go and uh, most of the Berkshire Hathaway letters to shareholders are available totally for free on the Berkshire Hathaway website, and if you go and you click on 1986, his letter will come up. The letter itself and the very like you know first two thirds of it has nothing to do with owner earnings, and you scroll way down, and he'll get into this description of what he eventually calls owner earnings. Um, and that is, to my knowledge, the first mention of it. Is that true, do you think, Dad? I think that's true, and I want to just wish you good luck in trying to figure out what he's talking about, because I've been reading that letter for about 30 years, and I'm still not really that sure. Well, so I, in my opinion, he <laughs> is giving out this rather extraordinary view of accounting that is deeply skeptical. A skeptical probably isn't even strong enough word. He's <laughs> pejorative about gap accounting and um, pejorative, and how pejorative he is uh, pejorative is negative negative 
Thank you. You lost him there for a second. Um, and uh, he he basically offers like two examples of two companies, and then I won't spoil it, but he compares them and describes one why one is different than the other, and it's entirely due to accounting methods. Which for me, as a total non-accountant, I, I agree, Dad. I read this and I don't follow it completely, but it's really interesting to see how he lays this out and describes it um, as his background, as his reasoning for providing an alternate method of evaluating a company. And um, and, and in de defense of what we wrote in the book, which is the idiot's guide to owner earnings, um, I will quote Buffett here in the 86 letter. He says, our owner earnings equation does not yield the deceptively precise figures provided by gap accounting since um, the actual maintenance capital expenditures must be a guess and one sometimes very difficult to make. Despite this problem, we consider the owner earnings figure, not the gap figure, to be the relevant item for valuation purposes, both for investors buying stocks and for managers in buying entire businesses. We agree with Keene's observation. I would rather be vaguely right than precisely wrong. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> Which gives me so much comfort. And as you taught me these various pricing and valuation methods, and we came up with our triangulation method of having three different versions so that we could get somewhat close to a central number. Um, I, I always remember that. Like, it's better for me to just be somewhat aware of what is happening vaguely right <laughs> than be convinced of a certain exact number and be completely wrong about it. Exactly. So. And and this owner earnings concept of a way to find value um, is not really a way to find value. So the right way to find value is to go through all kinds of wonderful, uh, you know, iterations of discounted cash flow analysis and free cash payback time and all these things will arrive at some sort of vague value. Um, and then we take a big margin of safety discount from that, typically 50%. Yeah, great. Because great. We're, we're just not sure we got it right. Um, yeah. Owner earnings on the other thing, as you point out and in invested, is a way of coming up with a good price to pay. And um, all we do is we take owner earnings, whatever they are, um, and multiply by 10. And that gives us a very good price to pay if we're quite confident that the business is going to be more productive in, in the future than it is right now. And that gives Let us, me. doesn't give us a value of the business. It gives us a price. All we know is there's a big margin of safety built into that price. I, I'll tell you that for sure. Big margin Yeah, and it, uh, for, for those of us, basically all of us, who are not accountants dealing with this, I just want to read another quote from Buffett's letter at the very end. He says, questioning gap figures may seem impious to some. Impious. After Impious. Impious. Mm -hmm. As opposed Not to impious. impious. No, I think impious would be more the correct pronunciation there. Oh, impious right. against dogma. I was thinking of imperious, and then I thought, oh, interesting, a new word. All right, let me start over. Questioning gap figures may seem impious to some. After all, what are we paying the accountants for if it's not to deliver us the truth, in quotes, about our business? But the accountant's job is to record, not to evaluate. The evaluation job falls to investors and managers. 
And I love that because mm -hmm. that's what we're doing here. That's what I'm learning is not how to be an accountant. I have to understand what they're doing, but it's not my job to actually record. My job is to evaluate. And some of that evaluation is using these alternate methods that experts like Buffett and you have um, have written down for us. And those, those methods that we're going to use um, make an assumption that's very, very important that we, we can wrap this podcast up with. And just to reiterate that the assumption is that there are going to be times when the market is going to misprice a public company. Mm. Um, and typically that is going to happen because there's quite a lot of greed. Everyone knows it's always going to go up or quite a lot of fear. Everyone is afraid it's always going to go down. And so um, we believe very strongly, along with Warren Buffett and Munger, that this occurs quite a lot more often than academics would profess. And um, as a result, the little guy, if he can understand the value of a few companies or the, the right price to pay for a few companies, will have opportunities throughout his lifetime to purchase these companies at a huge discount and a really good price. And that's yeah. why we're doing this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so, Dad, what I'd like to do is really get into owner earnings, do our long promised view on owner earnings, which we've started today. And I know you guys want to hear it in the form of Fiat Chrysler. So we will also talk about that. But I think we should not give any particular time frame. <laughs> <laughs> it might take a while to unfold. Because... It might take a little bit, but we're going to get we're going to have Fiat Chrysler in our minds. So and I'm going yeah. to encourage you guys, if you're going to do some homework over the next few days, take a look at Fiat Chrysler and notice. That's that a great point. Fiat Chrysler, Ford and GM are all selling at very, very low prices right now. Now, whether that's a low price relative to its value is another question. So we'll be diving into that as we go. Yeah. So if you want to do a little homework, Google up um, Fiat Chrysler Investor Relations, Ford Investor Relations. Um, what was the other one you said? GM. GM Investor Relations. Yep. And you could read some annual reports and get a sense of what these companies are about. Yep. I'll and tell you what I found. They're a little complicated for me. They're a yeah, little They're, they're a little hard. complicated. They're maybe a they're little too little hard. Little but we'll focus just on owner earnings and we'll take a good look at and see if we can at least figure out that part. Perfect. All right, cool. All right. Until then, time to go play. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to Invested. If you're in debt and you're looking to take back control, pretty important, I have a free get out of debt checklist that you can use to conquer your debt and start making positive returns. But get my free checklist at investedpodcast.com slash debt. And by the way, if you enjoyed this episode and you want more information, show notes and more episodes, just visit us at investedpodcast.com. Everything discussed on this podcast is either my opinion or Danielle's opinion and is not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I hope you enjoyed it.